You're listening to Version Control, Pound and Grain's digital news show. Here's something that may not come as a huge surprise. Customers prefer to rely on their emotions to make buying decisions rather than information. You may know this instinctively. It's something that you do many times a day without much thought. For instance, maybe you bought a Coca-Cola instead of a Pepsi because you grew up in a Coke house and it doesn't matter what sort of messaging you receive from Pepsi, you're gonna stick with Coke because, well, just because. That's the power of brand-focused nostalgia at work. Nostalgia is a thing that most of us feel but few of us understand. What is it that speaks to us so clearly when nostalgia hits us? Is it as simple as longing for our youth? If so, how far gone does a trend need to be before it's time to tap into it again? And what is the best way to utilize nostalgia? Do you stick with the old formula? or revamp the look into something brand new. A few years ago, Pokemon Go proved to be a hit by taking a beloved show, gamifying, and adding a modern AR twist to it. Moves like this capture the nostalgia set, but kick things up a notch by scoring a new fan base that likely would never have come to Pokemon on its own. Another great example of this is the recent relaunch of Nickelodeon's Double Dare. The kids that Nickelodeon is looking to attract with the likes of YouTube star Liza Koshy as the new host would likely not have been born when the original show aired. Bringing back original host Mark Summers is likely a nod to the now parents that were kids when the original was on. So if you're a parent and you see some options for your kids to watch, you're more likely to go with something that you know is a safe bet over something that needs to be vetted. And of course, there may be no greater example of a nostalgia win than the phenomenon that was Stranger Things. The Duffer Brothers hit nostalgia pay dirt with their 80s preteen adventure story. Their genius, though, lies in their recognition of the public demand for a story that was modeled after 80s movies. Seems simple in hindsight, but if it was so simple, wouldn't everyone have done it? Any way you cut it, it seems that tapping into nostalgia is a win, but with a caveat. There are some pratfalls involved with using nostalgia to tap into the emotions of your audience. Who are you trying to attract? Bear in mind that the nostalgia piece that you're creating will resonate differently across generations. Also, does your nostalgia piece resonate when aligned with your current brand voice? If you've done work to appear to be a forward-thinking company, is utilizing nostalgia going against what you've already worked so hard to portray? Don't worry, folks. These questions and more will be dug into by the Virgin Control team directly. Just like an old friend, you can count on and trust. It's like smoking on the sunshine. Right over the rust, treated to trim clad. Give it some tea. We're back, everybody. Version control, new episode in the studio with some of our our bestest friends at Pound and Green, the wonderful, charming Nick Ewan. Hello, everyone. We've re-enlisted Scott Liu, our our now creative director. Hi. <laughs> our Roz, if you will. And also back from an extended trip around the world, Ivana, our copywriter. That's me. <laughs> I'm struggling with a, a weird voice thing, so. It's going to work. 
Okay. <laughs> it's going to work. And we're back, and we're, t- we're talking today about the power of nostalgia in marketing and what that makes us all feel. What do you guys think? What, uh, maybe we start off with the, the softest of softball questions of um, what's an example of, of sort of nostalgia in marketing that really, like, captured you. Nick? Well, I mean, clothing, of course, always comes full circle. Or actually, let's talk about something a little closer to my heart even. Uh, the recent revamp of all old beer labels that, of course, for some reason, I just need to purchase that Coors Banquet, even though I hate the beer, but I'm like, oh, wow, well, cool how can. How dare you? Yeah. Or how about Molson Canadian? They, that's a nice little Canadian brand for us. So. Or when they put them in like the stubby bottle. I love the stubby bottle. And you want the, like for some reason that like an old timey stubby bottle is really going to enhance the drinking experience. Fact, it does. It certainly does. And also it, I feel like I'm my grandpa drinking a beer. Like that's what he drank and it just, everything's old timey. Yeah. So that's an example of something that's nostalgic, but you didn't experience that product. Right, like you weren't drinking age when that was when that label was around. No, like you just said, you felt like your grandpa. Yeah. So that's kind of like for me, for things like Stranger Things and Gardens of the Galaxy, because I wasn't alive in the seventies and eighties when those kind of, um, well, the music or like that kind of the, the trends in those shows were going mm-hmm. on. But like, I feel nostalgic for it. It's yep. interesting that you can feel nostalgic for something that like you didn't experience. That's the interesting thing about nostalgia that it mm. transcends like your actual ability to be like, "Oh yeah, I remember that too." Like I've heard of that and I'm nostalgic for that time and place. It looks happier, better, mm-hmm. more mm. cool than our current time. The Belle Epoque. Yeah. If I really will. get I'll in say. on like not even the beer, but like pop cans and like when they do old-time this one's for Scott. Dorito packaging. Like, oh, man. When they bring out the like, old-time like original Doritos package, and you're like, that's amazing. It's going to totally change my perception of the already delicious Doritos that I'm about to consume. But So how long, uh, how much time needs to have passed for you to be ready for that revamp? Or, and, and or reintroduction? I think it's interesting because, like, I feel like it, it seems like it's faster now. Definitely. Like, like, before it seemed like you had to go a generation and then, like, oh, yeah, really cool. We're rebooting something from 40 years ago. But now it seems like it's fast. But I think that's a perceptional thing because this week or last week they're rebooting uh, Charlie's Angels again. Oh. So... That was a show that was launched, it originally aired 1976 to 1981. At least I was still alive for that one. Uh, Then it was rebooted as a movie in the year 2000, and then there was the follow-up in 2003. Wow, you're well-versed in your Charlie's Angels I just did a little bit of uh, research before (laughs) the podcast, Ivana. Preparation is nine-tenths of the podcast remember that and then in 2011 they tried to do the tv show again it lasted one season and it was done because no one was watching it and now 2018 it's back again with a new Kristen, Kristen, Kristen stewart how do we say that yeah wow Kristen stewart's in she, it yeah from, yeah she's gonna play the lead and elizabeth banks is 
the Bosley character and director. What do you think about when things come back, like something like that? Um, where do you think the split is between trying to capture like the older audiences who do have that nostalgic factor for something like that, but then also trying to like capture new audiences and reintroduce something that maybe is new to them, like in this in the case of Charlie's Angels. I feel like they're they're skewing towards the people who like don't know it as much because I think the gut reaction for the people who know it well is to be, or maybe it's an old thing. And as the resident elder person <laughs> on the podcast, the oldest person here, you can't tell because I have a very youthful voice. Uh, I feel like my initial gut reaction is just anger and like, mm -hmm. why are they doing this again? Because like, some things are class, like the, the original TV show is still better than anything they've done on Charlie's Angels as an yeah. example. But then they reboot it and then that's what people know about it. Like Star Trek, for instance, like there's a whole new generation that just simply know Chris Pine as Captain Kirk. Come on. So like that's like a new actor playing something that has already been iconic. And that's where like I think people start to be like, ugh, I just... I just want Shatner back. Mm -hmm. So along the lines of like the Charlie's Angels things, how they're rebooting a reboot, one interesting thing that came up this week is they're reboot they're gonna do an origin prequel movie to the Sandlot. And if what? Yeah. <laughs> origin, they're like six years old. <laughs> exactly. And also the Sandlot came out in the late in the mid to late nineties, but it was about nostalgia in the seventies. So now we're in twenty eighteen. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about rebooting a series about nostalgia from the nineties. A prequel. It to was fifties, wasn't or it? Or the fifties, yeah. yeah. It was way, way back. So I mean, that's that's so next level, like nostalgia like, inception. Like, yeah, exactly. it's like nostalgia on top of but doesn't that get to the heart of like why people want exactly nostalgia? Because it, it goes beyond that tangible thing. And like what marketers are looking for at every turn is some sort of shortcut to people's brains to be all like I can cut through all of this stuff through some sort of nostalgia, whether it's packaging or a character that you use in your advertising or even just like reinviting old ads to just sort of shortcut and say like, we're still the trusted brand that you know and love and we have been for 50 years, 30 years, 20 years, there's also two just, years. <laughs> there's also just something really interesting about like the fact that it, we attribute nostalgia to simpler times and to that, uh, Everybody has a different interpretation of what simpler times is, which is why nostalgia as a whole can reach so many different levels. Like you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy as nostalgia. It might not be for me, but it is for you because it may kind of hit on like a factor. Like you maybe heard some of those songs when you were a kid and that's what kind of triggers You're right. It. Like I didn't, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't living in the 80s, but it was nostalgic for my parents. So they were introducing those songs to me, like playing in the car all the time. So it was kind of like this two-layered nostalgia um, but similar to what you're saying about like a longing for simpler times, thought piece on nostalgia that I wanted to bring up to the table. Um, things back in the day, I think, had a lot more longevity, and that's why there's a time where we miss it. Um, but do you think that things nowadays in a digital age, there's a lot of like here today, gone tomorrow, things are changing so quickly? Um, like, what do you think? if anything, is around today that we will be nostalgic for in the future? Like, what kind of, what has that kind of pull? Well, I mean, I, I, I think it would be, you'd be, if you looked at it logically, you'd be hard-pressed to say that, like, 
Apple won't be around like in a hundred years, based on they're about to become the first trillion dollar company. Their last quarter was still there. It's still a ubiquitous company in terms of design, tech, right. lifestyle, culture. Mm. You'd, be, you'd be like crazy to think, but I think like the same people would be like, you know, we've got some uh, radio or um, radio stations we could sell you, and like like that sort of nostalgic or like trains. That's the thing to everything is trains, and like they still exist, but the companies aren't as right. powerful. Like yeah. even GE, which I think like growing up, even ten years ago, GE was like the company that like still everyone was just like that's the best company in the world. It's the best company to work for. They do everything. They have everything they have like their fingers in every nook and cranny in the economy and then even them have found it hard to keep up even though they're still a massive organization mm -hmm. they aren't the like bellwether of the economy that they were even 10 years ago so i think like super hard to predict like is facebook still going to be a thing in like no. 25 years like i see i think that I'm going to change my answer, but impossible to say, and just say anything that's ubiquitously used and loved right now. Um, so that's quite broad, but it literally is like the MacBook. Um, that interface will change, obviously, but there will be a certain cohort of us that will be like, that'll look at this machine 25 years down the road and say, wow. <laughs> yeah, but that'll only happen if what we use as a laptop really changes. Like we look back, like we don't look back, at least I don't, and think, oh my gosh, the first iPhone, because it's relatively stayed the same. Whereas like you'll look back and be like, oh, my first Game Boy, because like that's not a thing anymore. Well, you will say that about the first iPhone eventually. If, if phones really, really change, but they've mostly stayed the same, I think. So They like, will in 20 years. Yeah. I, mean, I think people will longingly look back at the first iPhone and think how much better it was because it didn't it still didn't do much more than phoning and texting yeah. like <laughs> yeah. it it played music was like really the apps weren't a thing like it was heavy it was yeah. like it just was not the piece of technology it mm -hmm. is today like i think there will be people who right. would be like it was a simpler time exactly though that's why yeah. that an original iphone is is, is yeah. nostalgic is because yeah. it brings you back to that that era where phones only called and maybe texted and then oh my god it played music mm -hmm. speaking of music <laughs> something that i think really brings me back um to like simpler times and and one of the mediums that's really works well for nostalgia is just like music so one thing that i thought of that is current right now and i think we might become nostalgic for in the future is this sound So if you can't tell already, that's the opening sound for Netflix original content. Similar to like when we hear this sound. It, it gives you the spine tingles. <laughs> yeah, it does. I love the Netflix sound as well. Whoever created that did a great job. So good. HBO did that first with their like, oh. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah, like they nailed it. Like again, there's, there's never like someone breaking through with like, aha! We, opened, we figured out the opening sting sound that everyone's been talking about. I remember the ones from when I was a kid, like at the end of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons and all that stuff too. So that, like, I think you're right, like everything kind of has a few different signals um, that will remind you again of like what those simpler times are. But I think it really just depends on like 
what you're what you're nostalgic for mm-hmm. and not not necessarily what era you grew up in or or like you know if that was actually a thing of your past it's more um it kind of signals that emotion of a simpler time the irony of that idea of a simpler time is that like there has been no more simple time well than it's, right now i mean a simpler time for you i mean scott and i this this whole topic kicked off because scott and i were talking about icq and the feelings that we had Uh-oh. when we heard the noise, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> what was that? The year 2000, possibly, in and around there? I'm pretty sure that I was using it at a job uh, in, like, 2003, 2004 still. I think it was before, because I was using yeah. That's how I taught myself how to type in high school. Yeah, me too. MSN Messenger, actually, for me. Yeah. But It may have been the same time. I may have been working a job while you were in high school. <laughs> and I wasn't alive, so yep. I don't know what you're talking about. Yikes! <laughs> You know, was the year 2000 a simpler time or 2001? I mean, we were just in and around 9-11. Wasn't a simpler time in, for the world, but it was a simpler time for Nick's life, possibly for Scott's. So I think look, looking at it, like as a, my hot take would be looking at in the aggregate of what is simplicity for the most amount of things. Like, like there's so many simple things now that we didn't have, that weren't ubiquitous then. Like how to call transportation, mm-hmm. how to pay for transportation, um, how to get from one place to the other, how to um, like get groceries to yourself. Like there's just so many things that like on the aggregate is just a simpler life for, uh, for us pleasant people in Toronto. Like mm-hmm. there's still things that are nostalgic. You can still wait in traffic. You can still, <laughs> <laughs> you can still do things. Remember like I, like, I just think like that's the thing that, that people always think that their time is that they're so hard done by, right. that their time is harder, worse, whatever. Like, it's just not. No, I, well, I don't personally yeah. think yeah. that because we have, <laughs> the years 1939 to 1945 for most of the world were pretty rough ones. And you can go back through history yeah. and find a lot of those. So uh, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. So, so you're, you're wearing like uh, shorts in an office. Like 50 years ago, you'd be like in a, Jacket, suit, coat. Jackson brings us all. We can't smoke anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That part sucks, but uh, Jackson buys us all snacks. (laughs) Yeah, they wouldn't have done that in the 50s. They definitely wouldn't have done that. Black coffee and that's it. And and all you can smoke cigarettes. It's 11.30 a.m. and I would have been drunk by now. So, I mean, (laughs) it's a give and take. Pros and cons, yeah. 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 Uh, I do have a question, though, because, Jackson, you mentioned that I'm old? No. (laughs) You mentioned that um, a lot of the nostalgia pieces skew towards a new audience. So what is the point of that? Do we just have no new ideas? Or is it just like tried and tested? So minor tweak and it'll work for a new... uh, New. I don't even know if it needs minor tweaks. I, I I, I put this down as my like my notes, my research was that I was in Stratford on the weekend. I saw a play that was first written and performed in 1611. And the jokes are real old. I mean, it's not a comedy, (laughs) The Tempest by Shakespeare, but there's some funny bits in it. And those jokes are like 400 years old. And like the fact that those actors are still able to mine some comedic gold and the audience laughed. Like, I just think we're, we're attuned to be like, seeing things, the story, or, or things over and over again. And it's not going to get any better, but like, mm-hmm. you're, you're just like, oh, that's cool that that was written that long ago, or that's cool that that story that was created 
50 years ago is still somehow relevant or that we can change it? I think emotions don't evolve. That's what it is, right? So no matter what, what was, the fact that we like to laugh is never gonna change. Mm -hmm. What makes us laugh could change, but like emotions don't really like evolve or get better or differ. Like that's who we are as humans. So I think that's what nostalgia is really tapping into. Yeah. So in the example of Charlie's Angels though, you know, you have the template. Basically, you have a boss and then the three angels who go out and solve crimes and whatnot. <laughs> so what why, else do you need? What else, what else do you need? But why call it Charlie's Angels? Why don't you say, I know this template works. Let's create a new show. I think that. you just have so much built in. Like, I think it's back to that shortcut and why marketers use it because you, you don't have to like explain half the thing right off the bat. So in a 30 second commercial, which seems nostalgically outdated as a concept or a six second pre-roll, if you can cut to nostalgia in some way, you're like cutting out like half the needs to sort of get to a certain point before you can deliver your, your kind of payoff. And I think that's what, at least in marketing, that's what it seems to like be really good at is like we can cut out all this um, intro nonsense and get right to the point by like, Oh, that, I get that. And then they're open for some things. They have like a, a warm, pleasant feeling about it. Like, I think that's the thing is like, mm -hmm. you're just like more susceptible to a message because you feel good about it, which is like gets to the science of marketing and how you can kind of tap into people's psyches and want, want them to, to, they want to like want you to succeed. Also, uh, from a practicality standpoint, why sift through piles and piles of concepts? <laughs> Come on. We just already have a concept. Here we go. Just... I think that's where the sweet spot is, though, mm -hmm. for in terms of nostalgia and marketing or just in entertainment, um, is one, what we talked about earlier in terms of audiences. I think it would be like capturing that older audience, but also reintroducing new ideas to younger audiences and, and not upsetting the older audiences and being like, oh, you're doing that again? Like, it was perfect. Leave it how it was. So that would be, like, the sweet spot. But also, um, like, not using nostalgia just for the sake of using nostalgia. Like, I think I was talking to you, Scott, about Ready Player One and how it was kind of like a nostalgic sellout. Like, they were bringing in pop culture references just for the sake of doing that because they know people will like it. But when it's, like, when you can see through that, it's not, it loses that magic, that touch of, like, Yep. Oh, I remember that. A little bit, for sure. Also, I've always found, you know, if you, <laughs> if you want to be a successful fashion designer, for instance, I think, just look at what was happening exactly 20 years ago, and that will fly right now, which is happening right now, which is super weird. Always. And as nostalgia goes, I don't know how to feel about, like, <laughs> if you told me five years ago that kids would be dressing like Fred Durst, <laughs> I just flat out wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> but yeah. here we are. History repeats. I, can I, can I um, wrap us up with like a quote? And it's, I know it's going to anger, it's not, it should anger Scott and Nick because. Uh, oh, I'm ready to be incensed. <laughs> Here we go. Only because it's, it's based on like that Spielberg movie, um, Ready Player One. And I know Scott didn't like the, did, did you try reading the book and you were like, ugh, not for me? It's probably, I think it's the only book. I have not finished. It was so poorly written in my mind. <laughs> I read the book and I rather enjoyed it, but there was no hype surrounding it at the time, really. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty good. Um, movie, 
I steered clear of, but anyways. And this, this really isn't about the book, but more like an observation from a review. And I just thought it kind of sums up like some of the things that we've been talking about. Maybe that's the seductive and to those who embrace it, profound appeal of a story like Ready Player One, built on the bones of hundreds of others, that somehow we can construct a scavenger hunt of narrative human significance from everything we've already consumed. Something every bit as spiritual and whole as a more rigorous study and embrace of the world as it is. There's just something about that like little sentence of just like building, like every story now is kind of built on like all the stuff we've already done. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think like nostalgia is such a part of like the discussion and culture today and companies like Facebook, Apple, Twitter, um, and the social media companies are baking nostalgia into how things work by like reminding you of events. Their Thursdays is all about throwing back to those curated times, like you're self-curating your throwbacks or and brands are doing that. It's so popular they introduced a Friday one. Yeah, well my basically now like, like I, I bet every day people are trying to do nostalgia because it's better than Remember most of Remember Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> and it, if you're trying to create content all the time as well, it's like it's really hard to yeah. do in the moment things. So you might as well. Especially with those brands that like can actually do it, like that yeah. they were around. You know, like what is what is uh, Uber gonna do? Like, <laughs> remember when? You know, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, just like 2014. Yeah, like it. I, I think it just lends itself to like those some of those companies like Coke that have done it all, seen it all, mm-hmm. and can actually say like 1951, we were there. Boom. Like, yeah. who else is gonna be able to do that? Like, that, that's the kind of the the power that a brand can leverage is just like if you really have a history, you can like exploit the sort of nostalgia marketing like no other. Now you don't forget anything. Yeah, now Zuckerberg and Facebook are just like, hmm, how can we make sure they never forget about anything ever in their life? And they send you a reminder of that time you were in (laughs) Russia in 2000. Last week, literally, that Facebook sent me like, you might remember this trip. And it was like 2006. It wasn't, it wasn't Facebook, it was Apple Photos. And it was like, you might remember this trip. And it was like 2006, a trip. And like, it was like, yeah, cool, saw Russia. But like four pictures into the scroll, I found this like guy on this tour I took on the river in St. Petersburg. And he was wearing this amazing eagle American flag belt buckle on the back of his pants. Like, there were so many things about the picture that are amazing. Uh, But, like, just, I would never have thought about that belt buckle in any day of my life until, like, they prompted me. I looked. I looked at it. I texted the photo to the friend I was with on the trip, and we, like, laughed hysterically about it. So do you guys like that Facebook feature? Well, that was an Apple feature, but like on Facebook, I, I don't seem to like it, but on Apple, because it's really just about me. It's not like telling me to like remember so-and-so that you've been friends with for three years, which I don't really care yeah. about. Um, I do like when they bring up the photos sometimes. Yeah. I, I think you sec- like I think it. secretly... Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, you're a curmudgeon. You're a curmudgeon, Nick. No, it's just always bringing up this like... 
it's just me partying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just always just like, making oh, mistakes. weird. Oh, yeah. Pictures of drunk Nick. Yeah, exactly. Just, just stop. stop. I'd like memories this? of drunk Nick. Or like fun. ex-girlfriends and yeah. just like, oh, no. Yeah. God, get out of here. Why? I'm looking forward to the future Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just need to delete all those. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess to, to come full circle, the, 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 era we live in now of nostalgia in your social media is that people are combing through everything that famous people have ever posted, tweeted, said online, trying to find ways to bring them down. The nostalgia can work both ways, which I think is kind of interesting on social media. Um, Do you think that um, the reason that nostalgia has changed too is because back in the day, everything was a lot of things were more tactile you could hold it in your hands and now we're talking about in terms of social media everything exists in the ether so like do you think that same guttural reaction can happen like i don't think i'm gonna have the same like i remember that tweet like that someone so posted like 10 years ago yeah but just like we started this off like you'll remember the sound of, t- of a tweet <laughs> like there's other right. things in there it's not just sort of like this ethereal thing like it, right. they'll have other things will trigger you to remember that and kind of give yeah. you that feeling or like old yeah. interfaces I mean like a tweet itself is the equivalent of remembering flipping channels you know you yeah. don't, but you'll remember the ones that you landed on and loved right. and even that like just the volume I think the volume's an interesting lens on it because uh, like when you would go traveling, like basically like anything that Instagram does, when you would go traveling 25 years ago, you'd you'd end up with like 36 pictures and like 33 of them were terrible. And that was your trip. Like I think like the, the amount of volume dilutes nostalgia even further because there's a bunch more stuff that's not as quality or that like shows you that, you know, like every trip isn't the most amazing vacation. Like not every hour of every trip is the plate of spaghetti in Italy that is delicious. Like there's like annoying train things and like annoying service things. And like, I think like that's the most interesting thing about you have so much content now or like you've been Instagramming your whole trip the entire time there rather than just experiencing the trip. That's how you're going to remember that trip versus you know, like taking 20 photos, putting it, not developing the role of film for 10 years and not even knowing what was on that. And then you have, what you're left with is real, like memories of the things that are ingrained in your mind, not like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, Facebook told me about this. Well, it's like Ivana actually already alluded to is now you have so much information that it's more to wade through. So um, an experience... I think can be cheapened by how much just material you have of it. Um, so all the photos that you're able to take. So I think that would definitely change your nostalgic uh, memories of it as well. I mean, are you going to remember the thousand photos? You're going to remember that one. So belt, it doesn't really matter. Belt buckle, yeah. St. Petersburg, 2006. <laughs> exactly. Backwards American we, Eagle. Not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Oh my god, guys, favorite part. Yay. Digital pick time. Let's uh, go around the horn. Who wants to go first? Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. Oh my god. 
That was a setup. Uh, sure. Well, this is like a tribute to Scott because it's been so long since we've done a pod. We haven't done much pizza news, augmented pizza. Yay. Uh, so our favorite digital company, Domino's, favorite uh, pizza, sponsor us, please. Uh, they did an AR ordering activation with Snapchat. Um, so you could do shoppable augmented reality for pizza. My questions about this are, one, how is Snapchat still a thing? Because I for- <laughs> totally forgot about it, which is cool. Um, <laughs> sorry. Dig on, is cool. Dig on Snap. Uh, as you, so how it works is you take a selfie, um, use the, the, the lens, and you get virtual glasses that, like, on the glasses you see the pizza in the reflection. Then if you flip the camera around, you see a Domino's box. When you open it, then you can order within the app without leaving Snapchat. So you can order the pizza without ever leaving the app, which is pretty cool. Um, The interesting thing that I noted here was that a custom AR lens costs about half a million dollars, (laughs) which you would get to reach 15 to 20 million, um, but you can also pay per 1,000 at like, 14 up 10 to 14 dollars per 1,000 people, um, which would add up quite quickly as well. Um, but a Nielsen report measurement of CPG brands said they were getting a 10 percent sales lift with the tactic. Wow. So maybe it works, maybe Snap is like, still a thing. Do you think that that sales lift was actually through uh, Snapchat, or people were like, mm, No, I want Domino's, and then they went to the Domino's app? A lift is a lift. How could you not want Domino's after seeing it? Well, that was mine. Who's next? Tough to top Domino's. Nick's going to give some negative, the world's coming to an end, like article. I can see it now. I love it. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to inspire debate. You you have a brand. It's good. Don't worry about it. Okay, so I have two options. I I have my light fun one. Or have my normal one. Let's start with the fun one and we'll see how it goes. Okay. I don't know if it's uh, work appropriate. (laughs) But apparently, according to Judd Apatow, uh, in 2006, on a movie that they... Oh, no. It was for a a late-night talk show that they were both on. Seth Rogen explained to Tom Cruise that internet porn exists. (laughs) What? Yeah, in, in 2006. 2006. That's kind of late to the game, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Tom Cruise said, wait a second. You're saying if I go on a computer on the World Wide Web, there are people just having sex on it? Amazing. <laughs> and Seth Rogen said, uh, yeah, there's all these movies and websites. And um, you can just go on them all the time and it's not even a big deal anymore. And Tom Cruise was just like mind blown that this was a thing. Well, that's what happens when you're stuck in Scientology. Exactly. So uh, that is a hot take over there. Wow, they're going to be beating down our door now, Ivana. Thanks for that. Uh, All hail Zenu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw the clip with uh, what's his name? Who's who, uh, not Seth Rogen, the director? Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow, like him telling the story. He does a mean Seth Rogen impression. Really? Yeah, because just for some reason they were. It was while they were filming, knocked up, and Seth Rogen still was not that well-known, and Judd Apatow wanted to take him with him for this meeting with Tom Cruise, and for some reason let him talk, and (laughs) 
Seth, young Seth Rogen, probably not different from current Seth Rogen, only has two topics of conversation. One is weed, one is porn. Right. Well, there you have it. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating tidbit. Well, now I'm intrigued by what the, the bad one is, though. It's not bad, so to speak, <laughs> but um, it was actually shared in our Pounding Grain social channel, which is always hot a, channel, a font of incredible information. But it's that uh, teenagers are turning to Instagram flop accounts mm. to debate politics and talk about their opinions of the world, basically, um, which I just thought was very interesting. Uh, they see it as their, you know, sort of like bastion of unfettered truth where they can actually just air their opinions, um, which of course mean nothing because they know nothing about the world. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a double hot take. Yeah, but uh, that's that's a bit of a joke. Sorry, teens. But <laughs> they, stay in school. Don't do drugs. Yeah, but um, they have a differing opinion from me and they think that they know a lot about the world and they have a lot of opinions and a lot of them are very smart and intelligent. And what's really incredible or interesting about this whole thing is that they have a stated incredible distrust for the news media, um, which is... On brand. Yeah, it's very interesting, I think. Is this part of all the uh, Donnie Trump fake news rhetoric? Is that the fallout from that or is that like... I mean, everyone's always had a little bit of distrust, but we also put faith in our, you know, freedom of speech and, you know, the pillars of our society. Part of that is truthful news. So, interesting. But is that changing? It's actually going back to its original state. It's not to get political, but like the idea that news isn't political or biased is like a construct of like a modern time and previous to that and in other parts of the world every news organization like in london they still have the three major newspapers one is like left wing one is middle of the road and one is conservative and which one you read depends on what your politics are it's out in the open and you read the other ones if you want the other point of view that's just something that was a factor when New York had three newspapers. There was one for everyone. The sort of like 60s, 70s, 80s, we tried to like talk about this as like a, there's one version of unfettered news. It's just impossible for humans to be like unbiased. Like yes, that. but we, we trusted institutions though. Yeah. Um, this says that teen flop accounted men's and followers said they found information on flop accounts to be far more reliable because it could be crowdsourced and debated. So we're entering an era where that's... It's like Reddit. It's Reddit. <laughs> there was it's, a really good like Reddit. Yeah. article going around um, that basically talks about how we're leaving an information age and entering a reputation age. Mm-hmm. And this is like in, in terms of news and, and what sources we can trust. Um, and like you just said... I guess younger audiences find they 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 determine a source to be reputable based on how many other people are talking about it. Um, well, but I think that's the scary thing about social media. These these teens, as well-meaning as they are, and I think that this is actually a good thing that they're getting out and having these conversations. They don't really understand the concept of peer review yet. I don't <laughs> yeah. think so. All of these, they they feel that. And this is a quote that 
You don't want to read things in a newspaper because that's filtered. It's not interactive. Oh, no. <laughs> that is, that's the whole point of it, that it is filtered. The interactive part can happen in any other forum, but where we actually get our information from, it should be filtered. Oh, this is so interesting. This is because they've grown up in a time where their idols and the people they look up to, they have the chance of being replied to in a tweet and like replied, and like there's this two-way communication, mm-hmm. whereas before it was an authoritative an authoritative figure talking to you and giving you the information and you accept it as well. Well, I think that when a lot of these people, young people do end up going to university or something or anything like that, they will, their view of how information should be disseminated will change. And a lot of that will be, I mean, those that do end up going to university, their professors have their work cut out for them and trying to get them to actually write anything or read anything that's peer reviewed and believe in that as a structure. Um, But anyways, yeah. Interesting. Also interesting that they do have account admins, and and who are they? Other sixteen-year-olds. Dylan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Brad. <laughs> um, they do try to discuss issues, formulate ideas, and kick out people who are um, sort of virulent. This is the problem. Sources like with Brad. social media, though, is especially when you're growing up with it, you think the, the idea of what an opinion is has changed. Like you said, Nick, like you need to have sources and it needs to be an educated. Like, but with people having this platform and people to talk to, they think that because they have somewhere to talk to and people are listening, that their opinion, no matter what, is valid. And that's the dangers. Thanks for listening to Version Control, episode 33, Tapping into Nostalgia. If you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate us on iTunes.